Welcome to the AI Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Schaefer. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of being joined by Emmanuel Turley, who is an ex-tech lead of machine learning infrastructure at Cruise. Um, that's the San Francisco robo-taxi company. Um, he is the founder of Semantic. Semantic is an open source orchestration platform, which is dedicated to machine learning and artificial intelligence. Essentially, it offers uh, the easiest and fastest way to develop and run ML pipelines across local dev box and cloud clusters. So Semantic actually can reduce by 80% the time it takes to bring prototype to production and to retrain existing models with new data. Super excited to have you on the show today, Emmanuel. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks. So like I mentioned, super stoked to have you on. Um, for those that don't know, I actually met Emmanuel at the AI4 conference uh, earlier this year in Vegas and got to hear a little bit about what he's working on. Um, I know his uh, boss over at Cruise, I met him as well, or his ex, his old boss a long time ago, um, and uh, just really f was blown away by some of the stuff that he's working on, so wanted to get into all of that. Um, I'm wondering if you, Emmanuel, can tell us a little bit about your journey, what what brought you to, um, to what you're doing today. Tell us a little bit about your background. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm originally from France, uh, as you may be able to hear from my accent. And so I started in academia 15 years ago, actually. I was doing particle physics research at CERN in Europe, which is this huge physics lab that hosts the LHC, for example. And so I learned a ton of stuff from that experience. Uh, and after about five years in that area, I left academia to join a tech startup uh, in Europe, just trying to uh, do some more fun work and iterate more quickly than in large science experiments. And I ended up moving to the US in 2014 and joining Instacart. I'm sure everybody knows Instacart, grocery delivery company. Uh, I joined in 2014 when it was uh, fairly small, like about 200 people. And so I had to build all sorts of backend systems for payments, order management, and so on. And towards the end of my time there, I started to look again at uh, machine learning, data science, uh, basically a kind of a callback to my time in academia. Uh, and I started working on tooling for that, uh, that field. And at the time, it was 2017. There was not much tooling around machine learning. It was still kind of a nascent field, uh, the film of MLOps. Uh, and so that's when I had the chance to join Cruise uh, in 2018. And so Cruise uh, in 2018 was starting to try to, uh, to go towards production and try to commercialize a uh, robotaxi service. And so when I joined, I was a bit surprised by the lack of infrastructure around ML at Cruise. Uh, they still were using a lot of heuristics on the car. Uh, and of course, they had a few models, but many decisions were taken by still algorithms. And so over the next four years, from 2018 to 2022, they really tried to move a lot of the decisions to models 
uh, so that they can address the long tail of more like infrequent events that that happens on the road. And so I noticed that uh, Cruise needed a team to build tooling for ML teams and data scientists to be able to iterate quickly um, uh, on those models. Because what you see is that the people that get degrees in that field, so like master's degree, PhDs, they can definitely architect models and, and, and write some Python and so on. But when it comes to actually running large-scale training jobs on like a large GPU cluster in the cloud, uh, it was quite difficult for them to do that. And so oftentimes they would have to hand over their work to like more of a infrastructure engineer, which was a very slow process to have to go back and forth between those different teams. And so we wanted to make them uh, autonomous in their own work, be able to just do all this work by themselves without having to ask for help. And so we developed a whole number of tools to make this much easier. Uh, so having access to cloud compute, uh, visualizations, traceability, and so on. And that gave me the inspiration to leave Cruise in 2022 and start my own company, Sematic, uh, to essentially bring those learnings to the rest of the industry in an open source fashion. That is so fascinating. That's really cool. Okay, so one thing I I, I want to get into what you're what you're working on today, but I just have to ask: Did you have any shares from Instacart when they just went public, or had you? Or, yeah, yeah, I do have some. Uh, there's still a lockout period, so you know, uh, okay. <laughs> still have to wait yeah. for that. Uh, but yeah, I, I joined quite early on. Okay, unfortunately, the stock price probably didn't do super great on the IPO. That's fine. That's fine. You know, the earning call for Q3 is next week. And then uh, there's going to be another earning call in Q4. And usually Q3 and Q4 are the strongest months for groceries because of the holidays. So it should be fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're cruising. That's awesome, though. I uh, I always love hearing about people that got into some of these startups early on and then hearing because, you know, and then they finally come to, to IPO. It finally yeah, yeah. pays off. So that's awesome. So tell us a little bit about um, Semantic. What is the biggest problem that it's solving for customers today like the the thing i know like you know a lot of these platforms they, they do a number of things really well um a number of different features but like what's if you could boil it down to like what's the core thing that people are like oh my gosh i'm so glad you guys are tackling this or doing this what what's that feature for semantic yeah so going from a small prototype in a jupyter notebook to a sort of fully end-to-end -end, uh pipeline running in the cloud leveraging you know multiple gpus and uh, running for multiple hours uh, can be really difficult uh, if you if you don't have the right infrastructure. You have to learn how to use Kubernetes, how to debug your cloud jobs, how to package Docker images, all those kind of very hairy things that if you're mostly an ML engineer or data scientist, you may not want to spend time on. And so we make it super easy for people to just write a few lines of codes, uh, run it on their local machine to make sure that it works fine, and then running it the same logic uh, in the cloud on like much larger scale. So that's kind of the uh, our, our sort of killer features. And... Uh, really, we enable our customers to retrain very quickly. So, you know, when you have models in production, you need to retrain them fairly often with new data. If you don't do that, your model is going to lose its predictive power. Uh, it's going to miss out on like some trends in your data, for example. And so you have to retrain every couple of weeks, every month with new data. And if you don't have automation to do that, you're going to spend almost the same time that it took you the first time to redo it again every couple of weeks. And so, uh, for example, at Cruise, before having the right level of automation, it would take us about a quarter to refresh a model that was on, already on the car. So like say there's a, there's a model on the car, we want to retrain it with more recent data. It would take us about a quarter, which is obviously prohibitive if you want to move fast. Right. And so if you had the right the right automation, you can do this in a couple of weeks. Of course, you need to like, after that, review the metrics, make sure that all the tests pass, the simulations are fine and so on. But at least getting those refresh metrics, it could be just as easy as like clicking a button pointing to your new data set and then waiting just the, the, the duration of the job and then uh, viewing metrics uh, a few days later. 
Okay, super, super cool. Something I'd love to ask you about from kind of the, the, the building side, like I'm wondering what is a, what's one of the challenges, maybe one of the technical problems that you encountered while developing Semantic and how did you overcome it? Yeah, so uh, one thing that's very important for uh, DevTools is the developer experience. So, you know, how easy it is to adopt the tool, the onboarding. Uh, what is the time between the moment that I, I see like pip install something and the moment I actually get value from it? And so we try to make this as, as short as possible. So like essentially within 20 minutes, you should be able to run a pipeline, maybe not in the cloud, at least on your local machine and start seeing results in the UI. Uh, so iterating with users on like what is the most natural uh, sort of APIs uh, to use, so like the, the the best way to describe pipelines and so on. We did a lot of that uh, in our in our time at Cruise, for example, iterating on what makes sense, what is confusing. Uh, so spending a lot of time empathizing with with end users, things that may seem obvious to you as maybe a seasoned engineer may not be as straightforward for somebody that just comes out of school, for example. And so uh, making it super easy to just get started was definitely one challenge. And then, you know, cloud infrastructure also comes with its whole set of challenges. You know, packaging a local environment and shipping it to a cluster uh, dynamically without the user being so much aware of, uh, of what's going on is very challenging because obviously what runs on your local Mac may not necessarily run on your GPU machine uh, in Kubernetes. So if you want to sort of provide a certain level of fidelity between those two environments, uh, then that takes a lot of iteration as well. So. We did iterate with our customers quite a lot to make sure that things were as, as smooth as possible possible in that area. Uh, so yeah, those two areas were, were definitely uh, some of the hardest. Uh, but in both cases, the key is to spend time with your users, uh, whether it's customers or open source users or, or colleagues when you work at a company. Spend time with them, kind of get rid of your own assumptions, whatever you feel or you think about a problem, and try to see it from their lens uh, and, and try to solve it for them, essentially. Yeah, no, I think that's such incredible advice. I know for myself as kind of a an entrepreneur in the software space, like a lot of times I'm like, intuitively, I'm like, oh, like this is going to be what customers love. This is the feature that they're going to love. This is the way they're going to love to do it. And then, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, how come that, that feature didn't get as, you know, get up as much uptick as I hoped. And then if you go talk to the customer, they're like, no, I don't, I don't want that at all. What I really yeah. want is for it to like work like this. So Absolutely love that advice. Something I'm definitely guilty of, and I think a lot of people. But yeah, really talking to your customer, I think is mm. is the way you're going to solve that problem. Something I would love to ask you about is, you know, in your opinion, what is the biggest misconception that people have about deploying AI in production environments? Maybe something that people are getting wrong today. So there's a lot of talk right now about AI safety. You know, there was this uh, executive order by by Biden a few days ago. Uh, society at large is kind of freaking out because, you know, uh, things like GPT-4 is very powerful, very impressive. And so people are trying to to think that, oh, we're not very far from like AI taking over the world and like being, you know, uh, damaging society and so on. And the reality is between having something that is impressive in, in one use case, like chat, for example, with chat GPT, and having something that actually is useful in production and actually brings value to businesses, there's like years of work. So uh, people freak out about the sort of uh, capability of AI, but I think we're years, if not decades, from having things that are like, threatening or, or have like, actual AGI. And so uh, I would try to get people to like chill a little bit and you know just enjoy the quality of the tools and uh, uh, play with them and try to be creative. Um, and so the other thing is, if you are afraid of a certain piece of technology, 
the best way to uh, mitigate that fear is to jump into it and start building things on top of it, be part of the conversation, be part of the user base, of the developer base, and so on. Because the fact of reality is progress is almost like a force of nature. You cannot prevent people from just building things and developing new technology. This is just the history of human beings. And so the best way to have your say, if you have any kind of concern, is to throw your hat in the ring and start playing with everybody else. And so yeah, your voice gets heard, essentially. So I would encourage everybody to start you know, learning about AI from a, maybe at least a high level at first, and then starting diving deeper into tools and different problems and maybe academic papers and so on. Turns out it's a fascinating field uh, and everybody is, is good intentioned. Obviously, I'm sure there will be you know, uh, nefarious players here and there, but overall, everybody has really good intentions there. And so I would encourage people to not be afraid of it, but like just go towards it as, as a tool for the future. Yeah, 100%. Um, that's something I talk with people a lot about. I'm like, there's no way you can like regulate a stop to AI or to the mm -hmm. progress that we're making the technical innovation. Like, it's going to happen. It's interesting. It's cool. It serves really great use cases. Um, unlike maybe like some things like crypto, I'm, I'm sure I'll get. <laughs> uh, anyways, it serves a lot of really applicable use cases. We use it every day. And so there's no way that we can really stop. And I think if, you know, if people have concerns about AI and AI safety and anything like that, I, I think you're, you're spot on, like get in the ring, test out the tools, have the discussions of, let's say this software comes and like it's not perfect right now but it gets perfect eventually what does that mean what ships will we need to make what you know what guardrails what like you can have the discussion about like it exists so now what do we do but there's no like stop it like it will you know it'll Neither. never it'll never happen mm -hmm. something i'd love to ask you about because i've heard this uh, quoted before i'm wondering how does semantic um semantic address the issue of retraining models with new data i've mm -hmm. heard people say that it's 80% more, you have a method that's 80% more efficient than other methods. And I'm just curious to hear your, uh, what that is. Yeah, for sure. So uh, training a, a model and shipping it to production is not just running a PyTorch job. Uh, you have to prepare the data. So usually, you know, you receive data uh, in a sort of raw format in your data warehouse. So maybe like a SQL table or some images or some videos on, on your cloud storage. Uh, oftentimes you have to process this data to you know, remove outliers, normalize distributions, clean up the data, make sure you have a high quality training data sets. Once you have that, you do have to do training, maybe multiple rounds of training to try different sets of hyperparameters. After that, you have to do evaluation, testing, uh, and then, you know, maybe some A-B testing in production with some live traffic to your model and so on. So there's a lot of steps that go into retraining a model. It's not just like, oh, I'm just going to rerun the, the same command line. And so if you don't have automation to do this, chain those different steps that sometimes run on different backends. You know, a data processing job will run on a MapReduce cluster, a training job will run on a distributed training cluster, like different backends. If you don't have a way to automate all this and to automatically pass data from one step to the next, all the while tracking what's going on, all the configuration, all the code that's being used, all the data, all the outputs, the metrics, the visualizations, if you don't have a way to do all of this in a very streamlined manner, then you're going to spend, you know, a few weeks, if not months doing this again, uh, which is why automation is really important in this area. And automation goes through developing pipelines. So pipelines are essentially a set of steps whose uh, the step of uh, the output of step A goes into the input of step B and so on. And of course, you can build arbitrarily complex pipelines on top of that if you want to branch out and so on. But the, the idea is that you can get some really rough inputs uh, and then 
uh, pass it through a number of transformation steps. And at the end, you have a train model and some metrics to look at to decide whether you want to uh, go to production. Think about this in terms of like, you know, producing oil, for example. What you get from the ground is not what you put in your car. You have to do all sorts of transformation before refining it, you know, processing it, and so on before you can put it in the car. If all of this is not automated, if you still have to do all those things by hand and carry the, the, the product of one step to the next, you're, you're wasting a lot of time and it's very inefficient. And so if your core business is to have very high quality models and ship them to production often, then you are bound to uh, require automation to, to do that. And for example, at Cruise, the idea was to get all the data back from the road, identify moments where uh, models did not perform as expected. So maybe, for example, uh, there was a hard push on the brakes because maybe some pothole hadn't been seen, for example, or a slight swerve around an obstacle, meaning that maybe a cone hadn't been detected early enough. So you find ways to identify those moments where the model may have, may have missed something. You label them using sometimes human labelers to like you know, drop out bounding boxes and so on. And you add this to your training data set so that your training data set is more and more aware of like rare cases that happen on the road. And then you retrain your model. And if you do this on a continuous basis every couple of weeks, your model is going to get extremely performant pretty quickly. And the only way to do this is to have this level of automation. Yeah, I love that. I think that's uh, so fascinating. You guys have obviously come up with an incredible solution there that's a lot of people really need. Something I'd, I'd love to ask you about is kind of looking to the future. Where do you see the field of AI infrastructure heading in like, let's say the next three years? What are some some changes you think and maybe how might, you know, somatic evolve in that landscape? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's something that's been very interesting to see uh, happen over the last year, I say, basically since the launch of ChatGPT in November 2022. A lot of new people are coming to the field. So people that do not necessarily have master's degrees or PhD in machine learning, people that are regular developers, sometimes you know even front-end developers, TypeScript people, even sometimes non-technical people like product managers, or marketing people that are uh, interested in, in playing with those tools. And so there's almost 10 times as many people coming to the field as there were before. And those people are more interested in building products around AI than getting the model to perform to the last percent of, of accuracy, for example. And so those people are going to need tools to iterate, for example, on prompts or on uh, fine-tuned models, iterate on their product around uh, AI models. And so uh, those people are going to need tools that are less technical than, than we had before. Uh, for example, very common tools for ML engineers in the, in the old days, if you will, were things like Jupyter Notebook, NumPy, Pandas, PyTorch, all those very technical tools that are still extremely important today for people that are doing the research. Uh, but if you want to build a product around, around AI and you just want to evaluate and compare different models, see what, which one performs best, what prompt performs best, and so on, you don't want to have to deal with those things. You want to mostly click in a, in a UI, uh, maybe write a little bit of code to query an API if necessary, and then see results quickly so that you can move on to uh, building product and building value for your customers. So I think the field of uh, dev tools in the AI space is going to move up the stack, as we say, more towards like low code solutions or, or no code solutions where either it's fully in the UI or you have to use some very easy to use SDK, but you will no longer have to do all the groundwork from, 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 uh, from the base. And so we're actually doing this at Sematic as well. Uh, we're about to launch a new product um, in a few weeks called AirTrain, uh, AirTrain.ai where we are essentially making it extremely easy for people to run large-scale evaluation pipelines on different models. So if you want to test you know, between Llama 2, Falcon, 
uh, and Flantify, for example, if you want to compare how they do on your input data sets with your set of prompts, uh, then you can do it through a UI. And then in the back end, you know, we have this complex pipeline that we maintain, but the, the front end is just like a form and like uploading data sets and then visualizing metrics is much easier for end users to use if they don't have like this uh, ML expertise. Super, super cool. Yeah, absolutely love that. Emmanuel, something I'd love to ask you about is what is, what's been, what's been, um, the most challenging part for you aside from like the technical side of this, but like you've started this like incredible company, um, What's been the most challenging part and maybe unexpected challenge in, in the kind of the company side, like really getting this whole yeah, yeah. business off the ground? For sure. I mean, you know, when you start a company as an engineer, you come in with big dreams of building the best tool possible and people will love it. Uh, it turns out running a business is uh, fairly disconnected from the building of the actual tool. Uh, I've actually noticed that the quality of your product matters less sometimes than the quality of your go-to-market strategy. So your marketing, your outreach, and yeah. so on. Uh, and there are products out there, I'm not going to name names, but that have like mediocre products, but are doing great because their marketing is amazing. Uh, they have tons yeah. of events maybe, or like all sorts of, uh, you know, go-to-market strategy. And so I, I, I had to like put my engineering hat down and I actually stopped coding about six months ago because it was, to, it was a waste of time for me. I was spending my time better doing, you know, market research, marketing, you know, writing content and doing things like that. So that was kind of a wake up call for me as an engineer, uh, thinking that, oh, you just have to build the best products and then your users will just come in flux and it will be just very popular. Turns out, of course, I will still advocate for high quality products. I will never say, you know, try to peddle some, some, some mediocre product. However, yeah. you can build the best product you want uh, if you don't bring values to be value to people very quickly, like in a matter of hours. Uh, and if you don't have a good go-to-market strategy, it's kind of a moot point. Uh, and of course, if you stay on the open source side, if you don't run a business, maybe that's fine. But of course, a business is made to generate money and to get users and traction and so on. And for that, do not dismiss the importance of marketing and, and go to market. I yeah, I love that. I it's like interesting to for me as well to see you know being in in the software space. Like it almost feels like there's two separate things being built. There's like the business being built. And then the product that's inside yes. the business being built. Mm -hmm. And of course, like if your product is garbage, like you're not going to be successful. But at the same time, if your business surrounding that product isn't, you know, you don't have the right people, you don't have the right go to market strategy, you don't have like the the accounting and like if you don't have like the, the business side of it in order, it's mm -hmm. very, very hard to, to kind of find that success as well. So yep. I think that's a great piece of advice. Um, I'm wondering, you know, I'm wondering if you can give us an example of a success story where maybe like somatic significantly improved an organization's ML operations. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we've been working with a, a number of customers in the last year and one of them is a company called Voxel. Uh, so their their website is at voxelai.com. Essentially, they do industrial monitoring. So they use video feed from security cameras in industrial warehouses to detect safety hazards. So they're trying to reduce workplace accidents uh, by automatically detecting, you know, if there's an oil, oil spill, for example, or if somebody's not wearing a hard hat, or if some product has fallen off the shelf or like a near miss with a forklift or anything like that. And so their problem is that every time they onboard a new warehouse, so whether they sign a new customer or expand to a new warehouse, they have to retrain their models or at least fine tune the model with data specific to that warehouse because the angles of the camera may change, the lighting may change, maybe the product is a different shape of packages and so on. And so they need to retrain the models. 
before using Semantic, it would take them about two to four weeks to retrain the model uh, and ship it to, to the customer. So let's say, imagine you sign a new customer and you tell them, well, you won't have the product for another four weeks. <laughs> like, okay, well, I just signed a, you know, that's not, not great. And so yeah. uh, thanks to Semantic, they can reduce this to a couple days because the pipeline is wow. entirely automated from like data ingestion, uh, you know, uh, data processing, filtering, and then training, evaluation, generating metrics, packaging the model to ship it to the customer and so on. And so within a couple of days, they have the model ready to go. They only have to look at metrics and, and then give the green light and then off it goes. And so it's much faster for them to onboard new customers. They are able to sign much more customer, much faster, and the customers are more satisfied. And same thing on the debugging side. Every time they have a failure, because let's face it, you know, large-scale infrastructure has failures often. Uh, they are able to debug those things in a matter of hours instead of spending days trying to figure out, you know, where went my logs, what broke, and and so on. So yeah, we're pretty happy with uh, helping them do that. So they are able to like grow their business uh, and uh, and keep moving forward. That's super super cool. I I love that. Um, it's really cool hearing the the actual use cases of you know people having success stories because it really gives you a good vision of like how much time you're saving these companies and uh, some of the benefits. You know, as we wrap up this interview, something I would love to ask you about is what is one piece of advice that you could give to someone um, as they're as they're kind of making maybe looking to start a career in the AI infrastructure space today or mm -hmm. kind of getting into AI? What's a piece of advice you feel like you could give? Yeah, so there's a, a very wide range of people in this area. You have people with with PhDs. You have luminaries that have been in the in the in the space for decades. Uh, and then you have people that are just getting started now. And so it's very easy to feel uh, like you don't know anything, like, you know, you have imposter syndrome, you don't understand anything. And so it's too complicated and then give up. And so I would recommend people to don't, do not give up and like keep learning and keep reading papers and keep uh, learning more and more. Uh, for example, you know, when I started my career in academia in, in physics, I was really drowning. Like all this you know, particle physics is a very complex field, quantum mechanics, quantum field theory and so on. I was like, I don't understand anything. How am I ever going to make it in that field? And I kept at it, kept reading papers, rederiving everything by hand, understanding every single detail in depth. And over time, like this is this field is amazing. I love it. And AI is the same. Uh, for example, uh, up until a year ago, up until you know the ChatGPT explosion, I knew about a little bit about NLP, natural language processing. I knew a little bit about the transformer architecture, the attention mechanism, and so on. Uh, all those technical things that go uh, inside models, but not really in great details. And uh, I was kind of afraid to jump in because I like, well, it's going to take me a long time to, to wrap my hand around it. But if you really jump into it and read things from, uh, from sort of the first principles, and there's a number of blog posts out there and videos that explain you know, how to build a, a transformer model with like very simple steps, uh, then over time, your understanding grows uh, slowly and then you become more and more, uh, sort of maybe not expert, but at least like more versed at the field. And it gives you more confidence to start uh, conversing with other people and being part of the community. So I would encourage people to not get discouraged uh, and then you know jump on the wagon, learn, read blogs, articles, videos. Actually, YouTube is a great resource for that. Uh, and then just get started. Love it. Amazing advice. Emmanuel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, sharing all your advice and insights. If people want to um, you know, get in contact or try Semitic, and you know, really see what you guys are all about. What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so our landing page is uh, semantic.dev. Uh, so that's a good way to learn how to get started. Uh, and then we have a Discord channel on there so people can join and ask us questions. Uh, and uh, yeah, always happy to talk.
Super, super cool. And to the listener, um, I will leave links in the show notes so you can go check out the website and find that. Um, and uh, also, thank you so much for tuning in to the AI Chat Podcast. Make sure to rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope that you all have a fantastic rest of your day.